This is an ultimate global podcast. Hello, and welcome to our special weekly podcast on trending international and social affairs. You're listening to Saurabh Kora and George Mavros from Sydney. So welcome to another exciting episode of the Ultimate Global Podcast. Um, and this is another episode in the special series of episodes that we have been doing this year for the CEOs, founders and co-founders. And I think uh, this is now the 13th or the 14th episode in this specific series. Um, it has been an absolute pleasure for me to kind of interact with different founders across the companies to uh, you know, understand the, the, the way a founder thinks or the way a CEO thinks. And today in this special uh, episode, we have got the Chief Commercial Officer of uh, LMS365. Um, and we are going to talk about this topic on what defines a successful business strategy. Um, I chose uh, Lars for this specific topic because um, I, I had an opportunity to meet Lars two weeks ago in Australia. And I thought that this topic kind of perfectly fits um, into your subject domain. And uh, this is something which I would definitely want to learn from you uh, through this particular episode, because uh, some of the objectives of running this podcast is, of course, you know, you are building your personal brand, you are uh, reaching out to people and you're making relationships with people. But another objective is also to learn from different people while you are chatting with them. So thank you so much, Lars, for accepting the invitation. And before we start off the discussion, I would I would want you to just introduce uh, yourself to the audience. Yeah, well, hi, Zarab. Thank you so much for inviting me and having me. Um, well, I'm Lars Westergaard. I'm Chief Commercial Officer for a software as a service learning platform called LMS365 helping people to train, onboard, reskill, upskill in the modern hybrid workplace. And um, I've been with that company for 11 years and uh, has uh, had various roles within the organization. Uh, when we first started out 11 years ago, I think we were like, what, five, six, seven people. And today we're approaching 200 rapidly. So it's been quite a journey. Uh, yeah. So. Before that, I've worked in all kinds of uh, companies within the IT industry, from Mask, IBM, and, and even small startups as well, which has been, uh, been, to be honest, a lot more fun than working for the big ones. Absolutely. And I think one of the big questions that it's, that is kind of the topic for today as well is um, I wanted to understand from you what really defines a successful business strategy. I'm sure this, there is no definite answer to that. Different people can have different ways of looking into that. It can be subjective, but you know, want to know from your perspective on what really defines or what are the components of a successful business strategy? Yeah, it's it's a very big question. It's very uh, it's very individual, and I think there are a lot of right answers to the question. Uh, to me, it, it starts with the definition of what what is a successful business strategy. If you look at the people like Jeff Bezos, what does he say? He says he has three components to a successful business strategy. He talks about being long-term, he talks about it being customer-centric, and he talks about having a passion for innovation. And I, I think he's got a good point because uh, strategy is the long game, right? It's not short-term tactical maneuvers. If you truly believe that what you're doing is the right thing, you just got to be really persistent in a way that your competition might not be. And, 
And I think the challenge are the surroundings, the surroundings expectations to your business and your growth. Uh, for publicly listed companies, the focus on, on quarterly results can be devastating for any long-term strategy. So, so yeah, strategy is a long-term, it's a long game, and you really got, got to have the guts to stick with what you really believe. Uh, I could give you an example from our own world uh, in LMS 365. Long ago, we set out on a strategy to build long-term partnerships around the world and, and slowly grow these into regional successes. And, and for some, we would even long-term acquire these companies as, uh, that are our current channel partners. So, and we did that successfully. And that's really just an example of, of how the strategy is a long game where you make a plan and you just execute it with all the bumps you come across on your way. And, and to, to base a second point about customer centricity, uh, I think that really goes without saying. But, but to me, being customer centric is always some, sometimes about being bold enough to stop, well, not stop listening to your customers, but to go behind what they're trying to say and, and have the guts to go and say, you are asking me for this, but we don't think this is what you want. This is what you want because it will give you what you're looking for, but in a totally different way. As thought leaders in an industry, you have to have you have the obligation to lead the way, not just follow others. Like, give, give, take an example: if Apple hadn't had the guts to launch the iPhone, we'd all be using Nokia today, right? I bet no customer told Apple that the iPhone was what they wanted because the normal consumer would never have had the imagination to come up with such a device. So, so you have to be bold enough to also go against the stream and not just deliver what the customers say, but actually deliver something above and beyond. So to Jeff Bezos' third point about passion for innovation, I think that's crucial. Uh, you got to be innovative for your strategy to be sticky. You, you have to be truly creative in your strategy. And creativity is a strange, fluffy word, right? So creativity, in my view, is taking something that works in an entirely different context and applying it into a brand new context, a brand new industry, uh, giving a total new application that, that no one else could have even thought of. If you think about the area of like customer success in a B2B context, why don't we take the loyalty programs that we know from the airline industry and try to apply that in the software world? Now, that's an example of where you could be innovative and, and constant innovation and creativity is also what, what builds you and, and it, it's something that builds barriers of entry into your domain because uh, with the, that creativity, you have something that the competition can't beat with money or muscle power. It just keeps you ahead of the game, right? So, yeah, and I think the final point about business strategy is it's all about execution. And that kind of leads us uh, to the next one. But I think strategy without execution is useless. Uh, you can have a not so strong business strategy with stellar execution will give you a long way, while a top-notch business strategy with poor execution will, will get you absolutely nowhere. Yeah. Um, I've got a lot of questions for you, for sure. Um, I might pass it on to George to kind of uh, understand his perspective on the same question and to see if George has got some questions for you as well. Um, well, for me, 
we get hung up on words sometimes in business. Um, and I think historically and generically, when we talk strategy, we tend to think of it being a three to five year plan or the long game. Um, but as you well know, Sarab, because you have to put up with listening to me too often, um, I've coached soccer for many years. Uh, I've never started a soccer game without having a strategy for that game. Now, the strategy that I'm applying for that game is purely for the 90 minutes or 120 minutes or, uh, and if you didn't have a strategy for 120 minutes and and the um, penalty shootout at the end, you probably didn't win the World Cup this year. <laughs> so, so. Yes, strategy, I agree with, is our long term, but there needs to be strategies within strategies within strategies. So uh, if you, um, strat strategy actually comes from a, from a Greek word called strategia, um, and and it's um, it's been used in military for many, many years. So you need to be able to work out what am I doing at the moment and does that fit into my long-term strategy? And one of the things I say to people is thinking about today, today is panicking. Thinking about today, yesterday is planning. Thinking about today, tomorrow, next week, next month, next year, that's a strategy. And, and so, so you still think about all of those short-term goals and objectives but you, you think of them as part of your overall. And what defines a successful business strategy to me? Uh, achieving the objective. So if, um, if LMS 365 is about being a $2 billion company in 10 years' time, if it doesn't reach $2 billion, it hasn't achieved its strategy. If it's about employing 400 people within 12 weeks, at the end of 12 weeks, did you achieve your strategy? So. A successful business strategy is one that achieves the goals and objectives set by the people that are in charge of it. Um, as you know, I, I'm a CEO of a, um, a foundation, a charity. Um, our business strategy for that is to help as many people as possible. We fed 100 people last week. We're pretty happy that we're, we're on task. It's not about making a profit. But there is a component of raising money to enable us to achieve that goal. So strategy, strategy, um, um, one of my one of my Mavrosisms. If you are not part of my strategy, I am nothing more than part of yours. And what I mean by that is if 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 we don't in business engage with people and have a strategy as to why we're doing this, then at the very best, we're only in the game for as long as they want us. So if if I'm dealing with um, LMS365 and they have a strategy as to why they want to build business with me and I have a strategy as why I want to build business with them, then that's great. But if I just go, oh, um, I'm just going to go and meet these guys, then whatever you choose to happen, I'm just a cork in the ocean. Okay. So without strategy, um, life gets very, very 
um, difficult, in my opinion, in business. Yeah. Did you have anything to add on that, Lars? No, I totally agree. And I love the uh, comparison with soccer. I mean, I, <laughs> one of my favorite examples when we talk about leadership is to compare, uh, for example, Jurgen Klopp with, uh, with uh, Mourinho. And for those not familiar with soccer, it may not mean a lot. But if you look at their careers, they're both uh, super talented uh, managers for Premier League companies or Premier League clubs. But what, where their careers took different paths is on execution, because Mourinho may be the smarter of the two, but he has failed during the past many years. Why? because of the people component, he loses his locker room somewhere down the road where people who play for Jürgen Klopp will, will die for him, literally on the field. And that's the difference when it comes to execution. Can you build that yes. joint sense of purpose? This is where we go, right? That, that is when it comes to the talk about execution of strategy, that's even more important than, than the finer details of your strategy. It's, it's about, how can you motivate your people to follow a common goal? And that's not an easy task, but it is crucial for the success of any organization. Look at the war in, in Ukraine. Um, Russia can, has more people, more weapons, more everything than Ukraine, but they don't have a purpose. Uh, no. The Ukrainians are fighting for their lives, their families, their country. Now that purpose gives a level of motivation that, that, that can't be beat. Yeah, yeah, fully agree. Of course, and I think one of the critical things that you have just touched upon Lars is, and both George and Lars is, it's important for the team to be aligned to the vision of the company to implement the strategy. Uh, and as you said, Lars, it's, it's quite difficult to align everyone in the same direction. It can be a challenge. So. How have you kind of uh, faced that challenge in the last few years or are you still facing that challenge? What are some of the things that you are trying to do to make sure that we, the people are aligned with that strategy as well? Yeah, I think, I think we've, uh, we've been successful in that by creating a common framework, a way of thinking about the company. We compare Elements 365 to a cruise ship a cruise ship that constantly have more and more people coming on board and then occasionally someone leaves it. That's what we call churn. And I think the, the comparison, the, the use of that metaphor with the cruise ship has been quite effective. Uh, and everybody on the cruise ship has a, has a role to fulfill. And, and I think that that mechanism, that analogy to the cruise ship has worked great for us. And, and what is also super important is that when you talk about engagement and motivating people to go for a common goal, you have to make it about something that is relatable, something that is not about us becoming millionaires, because what does that mean to the individual person? Um, and I think when we talk about methodologies, the OKR framework is a pretty good example. You said overall objectives, you break them down into key results and initiatives, and these initiatives are then implemented by your organization. The critical moment is your ability to cascade the OKR framework down through the entire organization. Because when you do that right, you'll see excellent strategy execution. Uh, 
But you, you need to be very practical about this. Uh, an example that we've always used also is to, to implement dashboards for your team so they can always see exactly where are we compared to where we want to go. They can see how they're progressing with their key initiatives. And that kind of make, making things very visual, visual to people has a very, very uh, strong motivation effect. You have to remember organizations are just groups of human beings, each motivated and, and, and driven by very different things, right? So the ability to make progress of your company very visible through recurring stand-up meetings and dashboards is motivating to people and makes them feel that they're part of the great mission. Um, but, but then we could also talk about what goes wrong, right? Because if, if you have misalignment between leadership teams and the rest of the organization, things do go wrong. And what often happens is that they speak different languages and they move at different paces. Because when the executive team thinks that things are moving in a certain pace, in a certain direction, but the rest of the organization is just not with them, the strategy execution will fail miserably. Uh, if, if you have a group of 10 people embarking on a mission to climb Mount Everest, you need to ensure that each and every person reaches the top, because if you lose two-thirds of your people on the way, you, you probably won't make it down alive. So, yeah, that, that was just, just uh, my thought on that. Um, and I think, George, uh, you and I have discussed this quite a number of times with other uh, CEOs and founders who have been a part of this uh, episode as to the three elements of uh, three important elements of idea, team, and strategy. Now, after listening to Lars, um, you know, what's your perspective on those three elements? Um, does it does it change a bit, or does it still remain the same when it is when we are now specifically talking about business strategy itself, uh, and then aligning that to the team part? No, I'm afraid, Sarab, you will never ever change my thoughts that they. All three components are critical um, because you can have the best team with the worst strategy. You can have the best strategy with the worst team. The, the, they are so intertwined. I have, I have never seen any organisation um, be able to do it with just one of those or two of those being right. You've, you've got to have a melding of all the components. Um, and... And the execution can only happen if everything else is in place to begin with. Um, and if it's not, it means part of the team was wrong anyway, which could very well be, as I'm sure Lars would agree with me, if the team is not following the management, either the management picked the wrong team or the management's put out the wrong message. It's one of those two things. So, so they are so intertwined, I defy anybody to be able to come up with an answer that says one is far more important than the other. Um, it, um, Lars, on previous exercises, I've said this is like asking what's important. Is it the engine, the steering wheel, or the brakes of a car? Um, you, you can't, or the driver. You, you, it's just they, they are so intertwined. Um, and I think, Sarab, the, the big thing is, um, and Lars pointed this out, couple of times so far and I 100% agree with him everything else is fantastic but it doesn't count for anything if you don't get the execution right if you if you can't actually get it it was a great plan on paper but it just didn't happen you know um, it's um, yeah and and I think 
a big part of execution is making your team motivated and, and engaged. Yes. And, and I think one of the key components in that is to answer the why question, because a lot of leaders talk about the how and the what, and, and they forget the why. But, but if you say the how and the what is what, what do we do? We create a learning management system, the how we deploy it on the Microsoft platform, that's all fine. But why? I mean, our mission is to empower people through learning in the modern digital workplace, to allow people to grow as individuals, as professionals. That's a why that resonates, that people can understand and say, ooh, this sounds good. I can be a part of that. The other part is just technical details or money, which at the end of the day, doesn't matter to people because they, they may not have a share in the company. They may not have not. They may just not be engaged in the company on that level. So we need to have that why stand as the very, very clear beacon of, of where we're going and why we're going there. Yep, absolutely. I think, uh, I think it's important, Sarab, that people understand just because you don't necessarily meld 100% with the corporate why, that doesn't matter. If, if, the, if the company can marry up their why with the staff's why, then there can still be successful execution. For example, there was a business that I was running for a number of years, and I had a couple of people join that company. There was no way that they would ever get to where they could get to within that company. So I explained to them, you're going to be with me for three to five years, and then at that stage, if I can't find something for you to do here, we're going to find you a role somewhere else. So I have many young people, or younger than me anyway, um, younger people in business today that, that thank me for getting their start after having spent two or three years with me because my why was there. Their why could follow that journey. But when, when, it's, when it's drifting, then you just place them somewhere else. But they can still be very valuable. I think a lot of companies make the mistake to think everybody that comes on board's got to be on the same mission as us. Not true. They've got to accept your mission so, so they don't sabotage, but you can optimize your desires with other desires. Yeah, and one of the things that I really want to talk about here is uh, which connected Lars and me uh, in our first uh, meeting that I had with him. Both of us are from international business background. So I've recently graduated with a master's in international business. Uh, and he, I remember him telling me about international business uh, as well. So international business, I feel it's, it's a very important element uh, with regards to business strategy, because as in how you're trying to expand your business globally, and since LMS 365 has recently acquired the ANZ team, um, before that, they've also done other acquisitions. There are always certain challenges. There are always certain cultural nuances and other kind of challenges which happens when you're trying to acquire different pieces uh, of uh, your team around the world. And that's something which we study in international business from a theoretical point of view. But I would like to know from you, from a practical point of view, how did you overcome those uh, stages? There were any challenges and what did you learn out of it? Well, I think we learned a lot from it, but we also found that using that common playbook that we set out to do has been extremely efficient. And we've repeated that now three times. 
and uh, there are obstacles on the way uh, that, that we've learned about, but we find ways to overcome them and, and, and change gears as we're in the process when we can see this is not going to work out the way we thought it was going to be. We got to be agile and change directions a little bit as we go into the actual implementation and, and migration of, of, of the companies into our organization. But I think, I think one of the biggest things to remember here is, again, we're talking about human beings because when you talk as a leader, when you talk to your board of directors, when you talk to your investors, when you talk about to the outside world, it's 90, 95% all about numbers, right? But if you talk about what happens in your daily life within the organization, it has to be only five or 10% about numbers. It's quite swapped the other way, the other way around because 90% of your time, you're talking to people, you're talking to people, how they perform, you're talking about their private lives, their professional lives. You're talking about entirely different things than what you would talk to with your board and your investors. So there's kind of like a, a paradox in that, that you have to be able to, um, to, to manage. Because when you, when you go out and, and acquire companies, you've got to sit in their position and understand how does this affect them? How do we make them understand that we are not the enemy, that we want all the best for them and that becoming part of a bigger organization actually creates more career pathways for you rather than having going down that aisle with only closed doors and, and just one direction. Suddenly you can go in multiple directions within your career, which is, which is kind of one of the selling, the best selling propositions we have when we do these things. Hmm. Absolutely. Thank you so much, Lars. I really appreciate that. Um, you talking about those, uh, you know, your perspectives from a practical point of view. Uh, might point might point out to George as well uh, to to kind of understand what his take is on um, this point of uh, globalization within a business. I think um, international and globalization is really just an expansion on what good sensible business is um, within the local area. It's just um, if you do not respect that we are all different, then what happens is you you start to there's that old it, it's a stupid saying um, deal with people as you'd like to be dealt with. Um, that is that saying in itself um, is crazy because I could be a very blunt person. Lars could be a very blunt person. So we're going to get on real well. But if 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 you're somebody that needs a soft, gentle approach and Lars and I are going to deal with you as we like to be dealt with, that isn't going to work, right? So what you need to do is you need to understand who you're dealing with. And it is not what we say. It is what the other person hears. Now, what I can say to somebody in Australia who is Australian born and bred, is quite different to what I can say to somebody that's in Australia, like yourself, that has come from a different culture. And what I can say to somebody in your home country is different yet again. 
the way you speak to me would be quite different to the way you would speak to somebody in a similar position to me in India because the cultures, as you know, if, when when we first started, yourself and numbers of others used to call me Mr. Mavros and I used to get rid of that real fast. In, in India, if you suddenly called a a senior manager or something, good day, George, that'd be culture shock. So so I think the, the importance when, when people go international, and I've, I've had the joy of dealing with, I don't know, probably 20 different, 20, 30 different countries around the world um, in my business dealings. And it's, it's about mutual respect and understanding. And it's about finding out as best we can what is respectful to the other party and how do we communicate? Um, I remember when I first time I went to Japan um, and I found out that the the superior person in the in the um, greeting, if if I'm if I'm your boss and I uh, and I bend to that level, you have to bend further. Um, but it so um, Jeff Penny. And myself, because we're Australian and we're we're always practical jokers, we practiced so that we could bend way, way down. And the young the young fellows in Japan they nearly broke their backs trying to beat us. Um, but the but the more experienced fellows from Japan who had visited Australia they were laughing because they knew exactly what we were doing. And yeah. so, but with with President Funahashi. As friendly as I was with President Funahashi, I always made sure that I bowed further than him because I respected his culture and his position. Okay, so I think the big thing to me in international is too many times people from one country want to go to another and then tell those people how to do it. You have to understand what they're hearing. You have to be able to speak in a way that they can receive you. Absolutely. And I think uh, this was also one of the learnings for me, as you said, George, that when I was coming from India, um, in India, there is a different kind of a culture uh, where you have to respect your elders, be it in your personal life, professional life. There is a different way of looking into someone who is above 60 years old uh, when you are just in your 20s. But when you came to Australia, it was a different perspective altogether uh, when you can just directly call that person by their name. Um, and initially, since uh, you know, Joy, that I was really fond of meeting new people and I'm still very fond of meeting new people. Uh, for me, as an Indian, there was a different way of, you know, calling out a person to meet for the first time. But then when you are in Australia and you ask for a person without a glass of beer, they might not respond with the same enthusiasm um, as if you will ask them, oh, hey, mate, you want to, you want to catch over a glass of beer? For sure right now so you know i saw that there's a different kind of a reaction that i see uh, if you are talking to an australian and you are trying to catch up with them over a glass of beer versus something else it was a bit different so little little things about the culture uh, which kind of also help you to uh, get mixed up and also understand better on how you can fit yourself um, into another culture so i think that was something which uh, i learned when i came to australia around three and a half years ago uh, but passing on to you, George, do you have any specific questions for Lars from your side? Um, if you 
if you had to if you had to pick a team to to make sure that your strategy was going to be successful what drives you to pick the members of that team Lars? Uh, when we pick skill, when we pick leadership teams, I'm looking for uh, a balance between skill sets and uh, chemistry between those within the team. And uh, I would always go about setting a leadership team with a set of ground rules, like five fundamental ground rules. This is how we behave within this team, because that when everybody agrees around those five very simple ground rules, we establish trust. And at the core of any team that is successful is trust. That you don't go and break the chain of command, that you do not go and throw people under the bus, that you can be vulnerable within the team and know it won't get outside. Mm -hmm. So I think these very basic human behavior elements is, is very, something that I prioritize very high. With that said, we need to find the best of the best, but we need to make sure that these skill sets are very, very different within the team. Because we want someone who can be very, very process oriented, very project uh, manager oriented and get things done. And you need, you need to also have people on the team who can challenge these things and say, well, this is all good, but we're going in the wrong direction and be creative. So you've got to set that team of very, very different personalities when you create a team and you want people who are better than yourself. That's probably the most important thing. You want people who are smarter than you are. And that can be uh, terrifying for some, but, uh, but I think it's just very, very important that we do that. Um, and then again, when you've set that team together, build that feeling of a mutual mission, something, a higher purpose that we all go for, that that's super important for people's motivation. Absolutely. I think those are really critical elements, uh, Lars. Uh, and one of the things that um, I was reading a few days back in, in an article by Harvard, and it said that, a critical element of a healthy team is also linked to team diversity. Um, team diversity in terms of the backgrounds they come from, in terms of the cultures they come from, because if you're coming from different backgrounds and cultures and uh, uh, job arenas and industries, you add different perspectives uh, to the same argument in a discussion room, and that helps the team to grow further. So do you think that that argument has got substance on the basis of your experience in LMS 365 and beyond. Yeah, I, th I think people should have very diverse backgrounds, but not for the purpose of having diverse backgrounds. I think the important thing is that you have different mindsets that you bring into the equation. Uh, I don't care about people's uh, religion, skills, color, origin, all that kind of stuff. It doesn't matter to me. I want the best people on the job at any given time. And I, I think actually having that approach uh, will give you a diverse team because you don't find those, those skill sets by picking all 50-year-old white males. You, you, get, you, get, you get the wrong composition in a team. You need a diverse team that, that brings in different things to the table. Uh, before we end today's uh, podcast, uh, Lars, um, I would also like to point towards the 
recent things that have happened uh, at LMS 365. So there is a new brand release uh, that we have seen in the last week or so. So how does that uh, link to the uh, long-term business strategy that you think about LMS 365? And maybe you can give a brief of that rebranding that has happened. Yeah, yeah. I think uh, rebranding is often just associated with new colors, new logo, but it's it's a lot more than that. I think for us, it was about what we just talked about, having a higher purpose with our business. Our brand promise is has now been, been changed, and now our brand promise is learn like you. Learn like you is really about setting people free, giving the, the possibility to learn anywhere on any device in any format that they prefer. Because who are we to set the boundaries for how people best learn? People all learn in a different way. So if you look at some of the industry uh, thought leaders like Josh Person, he talked about learning in the flow of work. But that is exactly what we do. But we think learning in the flow of work becomes a very technical term becomes very process oriented. And I think putting a, a term to this and say, you'll learn like you, it becomes putting person over, putting people over platform, basically, where the people, the individual person and what they gain, how they develop professionally and individually is more important than talking about technology underneath. So that, again, going back to the the how, what, and why, right? So, so we need to answer the why. And the rebranding process is, is a good example of this, where the why is we will enable you to learn like you. Thank you so much, Lars, again. I think that rebranding has kind of uh, given a fresh thought um, to LMS 365 and fresh perspective to the way uh, people perceive or think about um, the company in general. Um, but thank you so much uh, for taking out time today and participating in this uh, particular episode. Um, and I definitely hope that uh, you can become part of many more episodes uh, in the near future. Um, any comments from your side on how you found it? Well, I think it was a very interesting conversation, Sarab. And thank you so much, George, for sharing your insights here as well. Uh, it's, it's been very, very good. Thank you. This is an ultimate global podcast. Hello, and welcome to our special weekly podcast on trending international and social affairs. You're listening to Saurabh Kora and George Mavros from Sydney.